All right, so the main text that we're going to look at this morning, I'll get to it in a minute, uh, but we're going to be in Exodus chapter 34. If you got your Bible, you can go ahead and open there. And let me, while you're flipping over there, while we're flipping over there, let me, uh, let me pray real quick, and then uh, we'll, we'll dive into talking about emotions. Uh, Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you uh, for how you have designed and shaped us as emotional beings in your image. I ask that you would uh, incline our hearts to your testimonies and not to selfish gain, that you would unite our hearts to fear your name, that you would satisfy us this morning with your steadfast love as we see it revealed in the face of Jesus Christ through your scriptures, and that you would be with us by your spirit to open our eyes and open our hearts to everything you would have us to learn about ourselves and our relationship to you. Through Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you, together with the Holy Spirit, one God, forever praised. Amen. Uh, so like I said, I'm Chad Eskew. I am recently a pastoral intern. Some of you may have, uh, I was temporarily overseeing the GNC, and so some of you may have may know me from that. I have recently been hired as the new fellows director, and so I am uh, here for the yeah. long haul. <laughs> Dr. Friday is instrumental in that. The Lord's really being gracious. Um, so we are working on that. Um, I want to start with a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones, because I want to answer the question, why are we talking about emotions? Like, why emotions? Why is this a big deal? Why is it important that we understand emotions? We're Presbyterians, right? You know? <laughs> Who needs emotions? Uh, you know, that's, that's kind of the traditional Presbyterian stereotype. And so, but I think that's bad. And I think so does Martin Lloyd-Jones. Um, he says this in, in the introduction to his book, Spiritual Depression. I regard it as a great part of my calling in the ministry to emphasize the priority of the mind and the intellect in connection with the faith. But though I maintain that I am equally ready to assert that the feeling, I, although I maintain that, forgot the comma, though I maintain that, I am equally ready to assert that the feelings, the emotions, the sensibilities obviously are, a very vital, of, a, are of very vital importance. We have been made in such a way that emotions play a dominant part in our makeup. Indeed, I suppose that one of the greatest problems in our life in this world, not only for Christians, but for all people, is the right handling of our feelings and emotions. Oh, the havoc that is wrought and the tragedy, the misery and the wretchedness that are, be, that are to be found in the world simply because people do not know how to handle their feelings. Man is so constituted that the feelings are in this very prominent position. And indeed, there is a very good case for saying that perhaps the final thing which regeneration and the new birth do for us is to put the mind and the emotions and the will in their right positions. See, we tend to think we have these three capacities that God has designed us. We interact with the world as human beings through these three capacities, biblically speaking. The mind, the emotions, and the will. Your, your, your ability to think, your ability to feel, your ability to actually interact and make choices. And that's how we interact with the world and with our Creator. And we have this way of thinking about things where 
we tend to go, which, which one of those is important? Mind, emotion, or will? Which of, which of those is, is most important? No. <laughs> There's your argument. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that's what we think. Exactly. That's, we'll go, mind is more important. But thinking about them in that tiered way, as this one is more important than that, is the wrong way of thinking about them. They have a proper relationship to each other. And that is the goal. That's, that's God's goal in sanctification. What Lloyd-Jones is saying here is to restore their proper relationship with each other. There's this Greek word that Paul uses all the time. Other New Testament user, writers use it all the time, too. It's called epithumia. And that word epithumia, it means over-desire. Over and it's used to describe our desires that are disordered, our disordered hearts. And that's, that's the context in which he uses it often. And so the idea is that our sin nature has broken us in such a way that our heart, which biblically speaking is the mind, the emotions, and the will, they're all three summed up in that one word heart. Uh, actually, in, in Hebrew, you feel in your kidneys. Like, you, 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 you know, when God says, I, I, I feel compassion, he's, that, that either happens right here in your gut or it happens in your kidneys. You know, the, every, every one of these things in your heart is more associated in the Old Testament with, it, it sums up the whole of all of those capacities. And so the right orientation of all those things within the heart is one of the big goals of sanctification. And so it do, we need to understand why has God designed us in this way? Why has he designed us with emotions? And what are their purpose? What is the purpose of emotions? What are they? What is their nature? What is their purpose? And uh, just uh, how do we live as beings who are designed to have these, uh, these emotional capacities? So I want to talk about those three things. One, the purpose of emotions. So human beings, we interact with the world through these things. And... Emotions have three purposes, kind of summing up, uh, and we'll come back to these. This is kind of an introductory lesson, so there's going to be a lot of things that we'll come back to as we go through individual emotions. So the, we'll talk about the purpose of each individual emotion, well, four of them, uh, as we go through the lesson series. But the first purpose is communication. Emotions are designed to reveal the true objects of our affections. What do you really love? What you really love is laid bare by how you emotionally react to things. For instance, for as an example, uh, when if I am walking, let's say I'm walking through the hills with my children behind me, my, my little ducklings trailing behind, and all of a sudden I hear low, a low growl. <sighs> What's going to happen? I'm, I'm going to start looking. What is that? And then I look up and there's a mountain lion in the path. What I feel in that moment is going to reveal what I truly love. Now, what I'm, what I'm going to initially feel probably is, is fear, right? And fear is meant to motivate us to what? Run. <laughs> Run away. But then I'm going to remember I got my little girls with me. And then what am I going to feel? Anger. And because that is the emotion that is meant to motivate us to 
defend and protect and to bring justice and to, and to keep evil at bay. And what happens when you feel that anger? When you feel that anger, there's something that happens in your physical body. Blood is shunted away from your digestive system. Your body says, nope, we don't need to work on food right now. We need, we need blood to get to your muscles. And so it starts pumping blood into your muscles. It starts, your, your, your eyes dilate, they focus in so that you have a very narrow vision. Everything out here, I don't need to be able to see what's in the periphery, so my eyes, my physical body will react and I will have a very narrow vision to focus in on the attacker or the thing that needs to be fled from. And so these things, you, this adrenaline will start pumping through your system. And you, I, I've seen it, I've, I've, I tore the, the van door when I was a fireman. I, there, I thought there was a child trapped in this van that we went to. Uh, and you know, a van door, it slides. And so I start rocking on this van door because we can't get inside. We've broken the, you know, we can't get to this, what looks like a child in this van and it's on fire in the front. And so I start rocking on this van door and I tore the van door off. I am not Mike Sizzik who could do that this morning. He, he does that for his warm up. But, but that, I mean, that we, I, I have no idea where that came from. And what it came from was this, this intense adrenaline that my body was able to pump into my muscles to be able to find new strength to be able to get in there. Turned out it was a, it was a stuffed animal in a car seat. Uh, thankfully. But, uh, but, you know, just that example of what's going to happen I've got my daughters with me. The blood's going to start pumping. The adrenaline's going to pump. And then what, I'm gonna, what am I going to be able to do? I, I'm going to be like Samson. I'm going to be able to tear this lion apart or die trying. And so what does that say about what I love? What would it say about what I love if I said, see you, girls, and gave into my fear and bolted? It would say I love me more than them. What would it say about my, 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 what I truly love if I say, I'll die for you girls. I will go in this thing, can eat me alive. You girls run, take off, and I will hold this thing down while you flee. What would, you know, that reveals that I love them more than myself. So, um, emotions, the communication aspect of emotions, this is important to know about them. They, emotions themselves are not sinful. They're not righteous or sinful in themselves. They are signals that something is going on deeper within you that is either, that, there's, that we'll get into, that there's something going on deeper. They're like a check engine light. How do you fix the check engine light in your car? With, you get a piece of tape, you fix the problem, you ignore it. I mean, not how do you fix it. How ought you to fix it? You take it into maintenance. You don't put the piece of, you know, you know, put the piece of black tape over it. Problem solved. But that's how we solve problems with our emotions a lot of times, right? I feel angry. How do I solve this? Slap a piece of tape over it. Problem solved. Stuff it down. Pretend it's not there. What happens if you keep driving your car and the check engine light stays on? What you're going to get? You're going to get another light pretty soon, right? This one's going to be some other thing and some other thing. And before you know it, the whole dashboard's lit up and you have no idea what's going on, and then your engine's gonna seize up and catch on fire. It's gonna be a disaster. That's what happens when we just stuff and, and cover up our emotions. 
what ought you to what you ought to do is take your car in and what do they do when you bring it into the shop they plug it into a computer and they diagnose they diagnose what that check engine light is getting at and that's what emotions are meant to do if they that light comes on and we're supposed to go oop i need to go get a diagnostic i need to diagnose what this emotion is trying to tell me about my deepest loves and about what I ought to do, what's right and wrong, and how I can connect with God. Those are the other two purposes. The, other, the first is communication. Tells us something about our deepest love. Second, emotions motivate us to act. Actions don't just happen. We engage emotionally, and that is emotions are supposed to be this motivating factor to uh, make us act. Now, ideally, in an ideal world where there's no sin, emotions would still exist and they would motivate us always to do the right thing. They would be infallible. They would be, your emotions in an unfallen world would be an infallible guide because you would always evaluate things correctly. Now, here's another illustration with a mountain lion. I like it because I have two illustrations with a mountain lion. This one is true. There was a woman... Uh, in Florida, I believe it was, of all things, and there was her kids were out playing in the yard. Little little girls were out playing in the yard, and uh, they come in and they say, "Mommy, there's a kitty on the roof." And she goes, "Oh, that's cute, little kitty. Whatever, go play. It's fine, or whatever." And they go, they go out play. They come back in, "Mommy, mommy, there's a kitty on the roof. You got to come out and see this kitty. They're very excited. Can we get up and go? We need. We want to pet the kitty." Now she goes, she finally comes out. She's like, fine, I'll go out and see this kitty. And what is on the roof but a mountain lion is on the roof of their house. Now, of course, she gathers them inside and calls animal control. They get it taken care of. This is the relationship that emotions are supposed to have to our thinking capacity, our mind. We evaluate. Emotions work like this. There's a stimulus. There's something outside of us. We look at that thing and we make an evaluation of it. And then our, we decide, how, I, how should I react to this? Based on what we know. And then our emotions trigger to motivate the proper action in response to that stimulus. Now, were the children's evaluation of this kitty on the roof correct? No, they saw kitty, they saw mountain lion and thought, kitty, I want to pet it. And so their emotion was what? What was their emotional reaction? Joy, excitement, happiness. Look at this big kitty. If little kitties are fun, how much more a big old kitty? Because they don't know. They don't, they're not, they don't have the right evaluative uh, information to make the right evaluation. So they have the wrong emotional reaction. This happens to us. Happiness, uh, you'll hear this talked about in emotions in emotional literature, when you read the psychologists and things, they'll talk about positive and negative emotions. No such thing. Every emotion is positive in its proper context, and every emotion is negative in its unproper context. They would Happiness, they would say, is a positive emotion. In that instance, it was a very negative emotion that would have gotten those little girls killed had they been motivated to do what they wanted to do. And the feeling of fear, which would normally be categorized as a negative emotion, was the proper emotional response to a mountain lion. So it's meant to motivate actions. 
And in the New Covenant, we'll talk about this with each emotion, the, each emotion is meant to motivate a certain set of actions in a certain, and there are, there are the certain responses to certain stimuli. We'll go through each emotion. Uh, but obedience, what's the difference between obedience and like the Old Covenant and the New Covenant? What's the main factor that makes the difference between obedience under the Old Covenant and obedience in the New? Gratitude versus fear. That's good. Fear versus love. Fear versus love. Or... or yeah, or like a yeah, fear of rather acting out of fear of judgment rather than acting out of fear of out of out of a love that is a fearful love. And we'll talk about that when we talk about fear. Because we're going to talk about the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? Uh, and so it's what's the main factor? Anytime you see what's the difference, you need to start, have your heart circumcised. You need a new heart. And so that you will delight. To obey. That's an emotional motivation. God says, I'm going to make a new covenant with you so that obedience isn't just this perfunctory thing, but it rises up from deep within you so that you emotionally are motivated to obey. I'm going to give you an emotional motivation to obey. That is the new covenant. And so if you're operating and you're just obeying perfunctorily, you are operating under like, old covenant way of thinking and operating towards obedience. Now, it's fallen world. We're, we're moving. We progress by steps. And so we get better and better at finding the right emotional evaluation moving on. It's better to obey without the emotional connection than to not obey. Don't hear me saying, if you don't feel like obeying, don't obey. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, whether you feel like it or not, obey. Let the emotions follow but know that why don't I want to do the right thing? Know that the answer to that is because you are fallen, not because uh, your emotions are, 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 are a wrong thing in themselves. They're broken, and we need them to be fixed. So that's the second thing. First thing, communication. Second thing, motivation. The third thing that emotions are meant to do are they're supposed to uh, connect us to God and to one another. Connection. Communication, motivation, connection. They're supposed to enable a deeper intimacy between God and us and between us and other people. When do you feel the most connected to another person? After you talk to them? You, do you, is it just the exchange of information that makes you feel like that connection? It's the emotion. Like, think about... So my wife and I met when her mom was passing away, dying from cancer. That's when we met. We got married six months later. Now, there's a whole, you know, I don't recommend that. Um, but what that did, one of the reasons we did get married so quickly was because we were emotionally like welded together by that experience, by going through that, by me going that, through that with her. Um, I was mourning with her in her grief. And I was a shoulder to lean on while she grieved. And that emotional experience is what welded us together in a way that made us go, uh, you know, what we intended for evil, God intended for good. So, you know, we, the Lord worked it out, uh, but we were uh, emotionally driven to get married. And so our emotions connect us to one another and to God. 
He's given us those emotions to connect to him. Now, I want to talk briefly about the nature of emotions. We did talk about what they are. There's a stimulus. There's a reaction. And I'll talk a lot about as we go through uh, to evaluate the emotion, what the actual physical reality connected with that is. Like our emotions are probably the most physical uh, part of the most, fit, what we think of as the most physically connected. They're very interwoven with our biology. It's what's happening in our body that often uh, leads to anxiety disorders, depression, things like that, when our body doesn't match up with what we ought to be thinking and our body can kind of hijack that emotional reality. For instance, like you, you're not, there's nothing to be anxious about, but you're still anxious sometimes, right? There's, there's nothing to fear, but you're still feeling fear. Sometimes that's just your body and its fallenness and brokenness uh, not working correctly. And so we are embodied beings. I've got a heavy emphasis on that as we go through the different emotions. And that's a good thing. God likes matter. God likes your body. God made your body. God liked bodies so much that he made one for himself. So don't, don't despise your body. It is God's good gift. It is God's design that you would be embodied, an embodied being. One thing I want to I, I sort of militate against is this idea that what, what is your ultimate destiny? What is our ultimate destiny? Is it to be disembodied, to float on some cloud somewhere, pluck a harp? That No, that's, that's Plato. That's not the Bible. The Bible says that your destiny is a resurrected body, a new creation body that can fit with a new creation immaterial part of you. The, they're so interwoven, this idea of body and soul, that... This is a bit of a, a bit of a digression, but I think I got a minute or two. Um, think back to Genesis chapter two. God made a man of dirt, right, and shaped man from the dirt, and he breathed into him and gave him a soul, right? No, he did not. He became a soul. He became a living soul. Do you see the difference? He, he did not give him a soul. He became body and immaterial. Dirt and divine breath came together and became a human being. What is a human being? What are you? You are in your essence, dirt and divine breath. What do we call, what do we call it when dirt and divine breath get separated from each other? Death. That's not a good thing. It's not a good thing for your immaterial part to be separated from your physical part. In the book of Revelation, uh, the martyrs under the throne, what are they doing? Are they, are they completely satisfied? These are people in heaven now. They're under the throne. They're as close as they can get to God. What do they cry out? Who said it? How long, O oh Lord, until you will avenge? They, the, our disembodied state is not the ideal state. It's so not ideal that anytime you see any dead person show up in the Bible, they have to have a temporary, they have to have a temporary physical form. 
when, when God talks to Moses and when Jesus talks to Moses and Elijah on the mount, they're recognizably Moses and Elijah. When the witch of Endor sees Samuel come up from Sheol, he's recognizably Samuel. He's not some ethereal whatever. Somehow God gives us a temporary form because we can't exist formlessly. Some sort of temporary body. I think of it like this. Uh, you have, this is the best illustration that I've seen. Hard, hardware, software. You are, is, if I have a computer with no software, what is it useful for? No. I could break a window maybe in an emergency. I could, you know, like, uh, it, it's, it's worthless. It's useless. It's a big hunk of expensive junk. If I have software but no hardware, what, what can I do with it? It's useless. Even what we store software on, it, it, you know, it'd be a Frisbee at best, you know. Uh, like software and hardware need each other to be a whole thing, to be functional. And when, when there's, so what God does is when you die, your hardware will break down, but God will upload your software into the cloud and, uh, there you go. And, and say, <laughs> yeah, there we go. He uploads your software to some sort of temporary hardware until he, until he prepares for you new hardware that's fitting for the new software. Because what is, what is, the, what is regeneration? What is a new birth right now? It's new software running on old hardware. Why is, why is the system break down? Why, is this, why does your system not seem to run right? Why is there a conflict within you between the spirit and the flesh? Because you've got new creation hardware, new creation software running on old creation hardware, and it's bogging it down. You can't run it. You're trying to run creation 2.0 on creation 1.0 hardware. <laughs> and so you need an upgrade. And that's what we'll get. That's the resurrection. It's not, a, it's not get rid of the body. It's upgrade the body to make it fit for being directly in the presence of God and fit for the new resurrected spirit that he gives us. So these things, all that to say, we'll talk a lot about that, but I want to get that out up front because emotions are very physical, embodied things, and we don't need our faith, our faith, Christianity, alone among the world religions, faiths, philosophies, accounts for the physicality along with the spirituality and the psychology of, uh, of our emotional being, of our whole essence. Just as a quick illustration, it's like, and we'll, get, we'll talk about this as one of the main texts I use for, another, for one of the emotions for grief. Elijah gets depressed, right? He goes, uh, calls down fire, takes out the you know, prophets of Baal, big success, happiness, woo! Runs fast, runs down, runs faster than chariots, runs down to, uh, to the city. And uh, Jezebel is there, and she says, I'm going to have you killed. This revival you're trying to start is not going down. And what does he do? Suicidal. He uh, takes off, suicidal. God, I wish I was dead. He gets, he gets into a suicidal depression. Now, what does God do when he shows up? What's the first thing God does when he shows up? Feeds him breakfast. Gives, makes him breakfast. 
Even before that, he, put, he touches him. He touches him. He comes over and doesn't say a word, just puts his arm around him. And I don't know how long he sits there, but he just wraps him up. It's all right, buddy. And then he goes, okay. Hey, you just chill here a minute. I'm going to get your breakfast started. And he feeds him. And he does that for three days. Just shows up, touches him, feeds him. Shows up, touches him, feeds him. Doesn't say a word. Doesn't, re- doesn't tell him, listen, you need to repent of this depression. He addresses his physical need because there's a, he's, he's physically depleted. And so Christianity alone accounts for that holistically. Psychology says there's no spiritual element. The world's psychology says there's no spiritual element. Uh, other religions will say there's only a spiritual element in your emotional problems. Uh, and uh, we'll all divorce one from the other. But Christianity accounts for all of it. So what are these emotions, the nature of emotions? We'll talk a little bit. Emotions are, there are eight primary emotions, and they are like primary colors. Um, the eight primary emotions are what, what I will call happiness, grief, trust, disgust, fear, anger, amazement, and anticipation. Now, these emotions are all meant to motivate and communicate different things. And... Um, but you don't feel them in isolation. This is the important part about talking about them as primary colors. You ever been, you ever, who's ever uh, gotten their house, who's ever painted a wall in there, painted their house? You go to Lowe's, right? When you go to Lowe's and you go, I want, uh, you know, chartreuse number 47 or whatever, and you hand them the thing and they put it in the scanner and then you got the paint. What, what, what do you, you hand them a can of just white blank paint, right? And then what dyes get poured in? Multiple dyes, red and green, blue and to, and to different degrees and then what happens it starts to swirl and mix and create a unique color so you don't you when you feel happy you don't just feel happy you can feel happy and sad at the same time you can feel angry and afraid at the same time like with the illustration with the mountain lion i can fear for my own life and be angry that this this thing's coming between me and my kids the emotions blend and so we're going to look at them in isolation to kind of get an idea of some of the primary colors. But it's important to remember as we go through and look at them in isolation that you'll never actually experience one emotion purely by itself. It'll always be mixed and blend, mixed and blended with other emotions. And so as we, what I want to equip you to be able to do is to have the primary colors so you can discern what am I feeling right now? And what are the emotions that are combining to create this specific feeling? So that then you can evaluate what is, what is this supposed to communicate to me? Because emotions, they're a summons to come into the presence of God and evaluate, those emo- evaluate them, diagnose them before them because he is the ultimate source and the way we evaluate these emotions. I got to go quicker. Um, Exodus 34. Yeah. <laughs> So Moses just got done. Uh, there's uh, it's the renewal of the covenant. Long story short, uh, he cuts new he cuts new tablets. The Lord comes down. He's hidden in he's hiding in the rock. The Lord comes down in verse six, <clears throat> describes himself: Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, 
keeping, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. All these words. I love the Westminster Confession, and it says, you know, who is God? Is one of the questions of the Westminster Confession. I love the answer. It kind of brings in a whole biblical theology. But if you ask God, who are you? This is his answer. Who are you, Lord? And the first words out of his mouth are, I am. The first word out of his mouth is, I am Rahum. Now, in Hebrew, that means womb. He says, I am wombing. I am compassionate. You know what I am? I am the God that holds, you, that, that is so connected to his creation, it's like a mother carrying a child in her womb. That's how connected I am to my people. I feel every move. I feel every bump and kick and everything. I, I feel it. I am intimately connected to you in that way. This word gracious, it means delight. I am one who gives delight even when it isn't deserved. But delight is an emotional word. These are all deeply emotional words. The third one, I'm, I get angry. I'm a God who gets angry. You need to know that about me. Because anger is the emotional response to injustice, and I can't stand injustice. But I'm going to tell you this. Remind you this about my anger. I'm slow to anger. Very patient. I won't, you don't have to fear angry outbursts from me. And this is this doctrine of divine impassibility. Uh, God has emotions. This can be controversial to talk about. Talking about God's emotional reality. And, but God, we have to avoid a couple of errors. There's a little, uh, I don't, 30 seconds. God's emotion, God does feel emotions. His emotions are real. We want to avoid two errors. You want to avoid the error of saying his emotion, because we're using anthropomorphic language. Anthropopathic language is what they say. Why can we speak of God anthropomorphically? As if he were a person. As if he were a human. Yeah, because that's how he talks about himself. He is a person. He's three persons, technically. But, you know, he's, he is, and he became a human being. He took a human nature to himself. And so we can talk about him anthropomorphically because we are theomorphic. Because we are God-shaped. Therefore, everything in you has some correspondent reality in God. Everything. Everything. Every emotion you feel has some infinite correspondent reality in God that you are a finite representation of. That's what it means to be the image of God. And so we'll talk more about this as we go on because what the structure of every lesson is we're going to look at God's emotion first because where can we see unfallen emotion? We can only see it in God. So we'll look at God or we'll look at Jesus. I saw Mike preempting uh, we'll look at it. We'll look at God or we'll look at Jesus to see unfallen emotion. What is this emotion supposed to look like and it's un when it's not corrupted or broken by sin? And we'll use that as our way in to talking about, okay, now what happens when you introduce sin to the mix? And so... We will be talking about God's emotions every week. Every week. We'll, and why is it important? Why is it important that we see that God is an emotional God and we don't make the error of, of, of making him 
a God who is cold and distant. Because you become what you worship. You become what you worship. You want to be like God? You want to, we want to grieve over the things that grieve God. We want to rejoice over the things that make God rejoice. We want to be angry over the things that make God angry. We want to be, we want to be disgusted by the things that make God disgusted. We want to trust what God tells us to trust and what He puts His faith in. We want to be shaped like Him emotionally in, in, our, in, our, in our thoughts, in our emotions, and in all of our choices. And we have to worship Him rightly to start to become like him. And we ultimately see that in Jesus Christ who takes our emotions on himself. Isaiah 53 says, he bore our grief. He was stricken. We considered him stricken with grief, smitten, afflicted. But it wasn't his own, but it was, but he was he was taking our grief on himself and he bore our he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. God describes himself in deeply emotional language, and we just have to deal with that. And our, our doctrine of God's unchangeableness has to just account for that. We don't get to choose. We don't get, God does not conform to the Westminster Confession or, or our bad understanding of it is really what it is. But there's one other verse I want to I read. He says this. His very name, I want to wrap up with this, verse 14 in Exodus 34. For you shall worship no other God, for Yahweh, whose name is what? Jealous. Now, is emotionality in the essence of God's being? Absolutely. He says it right there. My name is jealous. I am jealous for my people. And it is of my very essence to defend them with a violent jealousy. And Jesus, in John chapter 4, the, he says, zeal for his house or jealousy for his house, for his people, will accomplish and build his house, build his people because he is jealous to protect them and preserve them. And that will drive him all the way to the cross. Let me pray for us and we will go. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for... Uh, making us emotional beings. I pray that you will help us to understand our own emotions in light of you, in light of who you are, and the infinite uh, depths of your emotion. Your emotions, just because they are not like ours, uh, does not mean they are less than ours, Father. It means they are greater and more deep and more profound and infinitely beyond anything that we could ever think of. So help us dive into those waters in the coming weeks and swim so that we may see your deep emotional connection to your people and we may delight in the, uh, the God who is, is his very name, your very name, O oh Lord, is jealous. And that we may be made like you as we look to you through Christ our Lord. Amen.